Hello and welcome again to the Fisherman's Post Saltwater Podcast Series. My name is Gary Hurley of Fisherman's Post. Fisherman's Post has been serving the saltwater fishing community since 2003, bringing you fishing reports, fishing news, fishing information, fishing tournaments, and fishing schools. And now in our newest and latest chapter of serving the fishing community, the Saltwater Podcast Series. In this podcast series, we call on our local captains and guides from up and down the North Carolina coast and get them to share their knowledge, their expertise with the goal of helping you to catch more fish more often. But truly the goal, I think, is to get you out on the water, spending more time more often on the water with family and friends. Um, I'm, I'm happy to have with us today Captain Jeremy Hicks. He's coming to us from Hatteras. He is of Calypso Sport Fishing Charters out of Hatteras Harbor Marina. And we're going to be talking about Mahi 101, the basics of Mahi fishing. Um, Jeremy's going to start us off with the where and when, and then we're going to move into the how and what. And I believe that afterwards you're going to have a very good knowledge of summer Mahi fishing. I'm joined in this endeavor, as I am in every episode, by Billy Thorpe of Thorpe Creative. Welcome, Billy. What's up, Gary? Good to see you again, man. Yeah, I'm, I'm very. I'm getting more and more comfortable. Although I might have stilted that intro a little bit, I feel like I'm getting more and more comfortable sitting in this chair, getting talking better to that every camera. Time. I mean, when you can start to reflect each other with our colors and everything, unplanned shirt colors here, we're looking pretty, pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm, we're getting the flow, man. Getting the flow. Right on. Um, talk to us. Tell us about. Uh, do our setup, please. Well, let me tell you how to watch and how to listen. So uh, here's our little social slide, if I can get to pull up. So this podcast is on all all these different platforms: Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and you can watch it on YouTube. Uh, it's really important to subscribe to those channels. Uh, that way, anytime that we upload a new episode, that you can get a notification that says, "Hey." new episodes been uploaded and once again the best way to help us promote this podcast is just to share word of mouth with all your friends I, i'm not gonna say the sipping suds with buds line i've already said it too many times but okay <laughs> anyway so that's the way uh to do that but once again uh this is all made possible by marine warehouse center here in wilmington north carolina so we really appreciate those guys sponsoring this episode gary um, yeah, man, we love the guys at Marine Warehouse. I'm gonna guess. Here we go. That you have a video. <laughs> oh, I do have a video. I was I was waiting for the Emmett little known fact, but that's after the video. So here we go, guys. This is Robbie at Marine Warehouse Center, and we're excited to announce that we are the exclusive North and South Carolina sailfish dealer. Sailfish offers an offshore capable boat with tons of family friendly features. Whether you're a hardcore offshore fisherman or you just want to island hop, Sailfish can do it all. That's a pretty good looking boat there, Gary. Uh, it is a good looking boat. It is. Every time I watch it, I'm like, man. And I, I know you're expecting an Emmett little known fact. <laughs> I, I know you're expecting that, but I don't have one today. Oh, man, I'm on the edge of my seat. You can make one up, surely. I have a Marine Warehouse Center. <laughs> all right, perfect. Little known fact. Little known fact. Marine Warehouse started as a swap and shop st store back in 1983 where you could trade or buy items such as go-karts and hubcaps. 
I mean, that sounds pretty plausible, but it's not. Or is it? It's true. I got it, it is true. I got it off All the right. website. All I, right. I figure yeah. I can't be too predictable, so I tried to grab a fact off the website, and I thought that was pretty cool, actually. They got a good yeah, photo up on cool. the website. They show the history. A little bootstrap action. I like it. So there you go. How about uh, showing me a fish photo? Yeah, man. Let us see a little fish photo right here. Here's Brad Weathersby from Raleigh with a false albacore caught on uh, a couple miles off Topsail Inlet on a big nick macahoo with a dead cigar minnow. Pretty cool. He's fishing off his sea dew. So that's pretty neat. Yeah, man. I like, I like that angle. Caught off the sea dew, a selfie there holding it up. Yeah, it's pretty sweet. I'm glad that pretty photo made it. Yeah, man. Awesome. Um, before we go, I just want to remind you, Billy Thorpe, not you, the <laughs> listeners, you, Billy Thorpe, that at the end of Jeremy's presentation, I am going to be asking you, Billy Thorpe, for Billy's best takeaway. I want you to know the best takeaway moment from the podcast, takeaway piece of advice, loosely defined, mm. but we will finish with Billy's best takeaway. You've you, been challenge. reminded, so tune in. Don't tune out. I'm up for the challenge. All right. Let me introduce our guest. Our guest is Captain Jeremy Hicks, Calypso Sport Fishing Charters out of Hatteras, a longtime friend, longtime associate. I've fished with them several times, numerous times. Look forward to it every time. And now I'm excited to have Jeremy on the podcast series. Welcome, Jeremy. Hey, guys. Hey, Hello. man. How's it going? It's going good. Good to see you out there. Glad to see that Hatteras has Wi-Fi enough for you to get connected. <laughs> We're always sort of fingers <laughs> crossed out there. It might be spotty. It might be spotty, but Hatteras is beautiful. I forgot to prep you on this one element. Well, I forgot to prep you on a couple elements. So I'm going to ask you to sell yourself a little bit, a little self promo. We do this with every captain. Jeremy, why should people listen to you talk about mahi fishing? Should they? I'm just kidding. Um, (laughs) I've been very fortunate to, this is my 13th or 14th season here in Hatters. And I've been very fortunate to have, to have learned from a lot of really good mates and to have learned from a lot of really good captains that have been willing to share their knowledge that they've gained over the last 30 plus years, a lot of them. And, you know, we're fortunate here because we, I feel like our fleet gets to fish more than a lot of other fleets in North Carolina because we're so close. We're so close to the Gulf Stream. And, you know, when, when, when I get to fish, 80 or 100 or when I was mating, you know, 120, 130 days a year, we caught a lot of dolphin. We were very fortunate. And, uh, you know, I, I like to share that knowledge with with anybody. Dolphin fishing's fun. It's bread and butter for us in the, you know, in the spring and summer and even into the fall. And it's, it's a great thing. And I enjoy it. And, you know, I hope that I can help somebody to enjoy it as much as I do. That is an acceptable answer, Jeremy. We will continue with the podcast. You have passed the first test. Thank you. Now, before we begin with Mahi 101, <laughs> the basics of summer Mahi, we have another feature here that I forgot to tell you about prior to the start of the episode, and it's called the two questions. It's where I ask you two questions that aren't fishing related. Okay. All right. Are you ready? I'm ready. All right. Calypso sport fishing. Um. I think it's odd that you named your boat after a type of music, but anyway, where did Calypso music originate? In the Caribbean. Uh, I have to accept that. I have Trinidad <laughs> written down, but I have uh, to accept right. that. Yep. Name one famous Calypso artist. Harry Belafonte. Man, he killed it. Oh. 
Good job. Good job. You want to know where the where the name came from for the boat? From mythology. Mythology. Greek mythology. All right, give it to me. Calypso was a sea nymph, and she would seduce sailors. All right, that's good. To sea. <laughs> she also in um, the the Odyssey, the journey is that it, or the Odyssey? She seduced Odysseus and kept him as a slave of her want and will on her island for seven years before releasing him. So anytime that that her name is Google searched or it's brought up, it is said that Calypso diverts men from their goals. All right. Pretty apt for a fishing boat. That's hot. Divert them from work. Go fishing. (laughs) Yeah. I get the connection. I I have some literature in my back pocket. I get the connection. Jeremy, I've been thinking people already wishing we had already started talking about mahi fishing, so we'll jump right in. I think what we talked about was you thought it appropriate to start with the when and where. So kick us off, Jeremy. Start us with the when and where of the basics of mahi fishing. Absolutely. Um, You know, as I mentioned before we started this, there have been dolphin caught off of Hatteras waters every month of the year. Um, I can remember catching one in cold 59-degree water blue finning one year. We had a charter in February, and we caught a nice gaffer. So, you know, it's a broad gray spectrum. But traditionally in, in April, you know, we start looking for the numbers. We start looking for, you know, a couple here, a couple there. And as we get into May, we start seeing the conditions, the temperature breaks, the, the weed line or the, the um, yellow brick road, as we call it, you know, conditions that will hold the dolphin. And sometimes that'll carry right on through, you know, September, October, November, easy. And, you know, that that's when I'll start looking. And, and again, it's our bread and butter. Dolphins are plentiful, fortunately. And, you know, they're, they're kind of, some days they will stump you, but for the most part, they're kind of uh, predictable. So what are some of those conditions that hold the fish? I guess that's where we'll go. And yeah, I like that you clarified, like you're speaking specifically from a point of reference of Hatteras. Now, of course, a lot of what you'll say can be carried up and down the coast, right? but specifically you're speaking from your point of reference in Hatteras. So talk to me about those conditions, man. Talk to me about, you know, finding fish, locating fish, holding fish, predicting fish. So, a lot of the pelagic species that we target, they are structure oriented. So, and structure can be a lot of things. Structure can be a blue green, green water, cold, colder green water to a warmer blue water change, as we call it, where the two bodies of water butt up against each other. Um, sometimes you'll find trash there. Sometimes you'll find weed, sargassum weed there. Sometimes you won't find anything. It'll just be a, a blue green change. Um, that will hold bait and that will hold dolphins that will hold the mahi um and then once you you know i'm not saying they're not going to be in that green water but once you get into that blue water and you have structure whether it be ledges or whether it be a wreck or uh, a, a broad rock structure like the rock pile here you know a lot of times if there's bait there it'll hold the dolphin um so, you know, those are the first two things and we start looking for is we start looking for those those changes, those blue-green changes, blue to real blue-green changes, slower current to faster hot water current, 
that'll hold them. Um, and, and then in between you'll have the sargassum, the sargassum weeds and the, the lines and the, the big patties. And, you know, it, it's not every day you're going to find a, an actual weed line. It might just be that it's scattered grass with large patties or what we call the end patties. You know, you go around the end patch and there'll be three or four dolphin. And then you might have to go a little bit further and, and find another one. Um, and then, you know, they could be, shoot, they could be anywhere. They could be right underneath it. They could be just off of it. Um, and then we, we have floats. You know, we, we see a lot of debris floating out there. And that debris, whether it be the sargassum or whether it be a pallet from a ship or whether it be some boards or some some floats from some gear that have broke free, like longline gear or something, or whether it be, a, honestly, a Haitian raft, um, one thing that was found one day last week off our waters, there was a piece of an aircraft. They're, they're unsure what it was from, but it was some type of aluminum riveted piece of an aircraft way out in the deep had dolphins on it. So, you know, the weed lines, the, the rips, the changes, the, the grass floats, all those areas are conducive to holding dolphins. So, how much of a plan do you have before you go out? Like what is the homework that you, or what is the homework that someone else can do before they head out as far as temperature breaks, current breaks? I mean, I understand about keeping your eyes open all the way out and, you know, playing the conditions, but I'm, I'm a little bit curious about homework that you do or preparation you do before you pull out of the dock. Is there much of that? Absolutely. Um, you know, I like to talk to the guys. If I didn't fish the day before, I'll talk to somebody who did. I also like to, you know, I look at a, a sea surface temperature shot. If there's no cloud cover and we can see good, you know, good temperature. And on that sea surface temperature uh, shot, as we call it, or, or map, you know, there'll be, you'll see where the water temperature will go from, say, I don't know, 68 degrees to maybe 77 degrees. And that shows up as a very sharp edge on, on that sea surface temperature shot. And then as you look further offshore, you can see another sharper edge of hot water. And generally that hotter water, and I only reference the Rutgers SST chart because it's free and it's what I look at all the time. When you see that that hotter, faster water, it's generally really dark red. You know, it's it's up there in the 80s, and it's going to be, for the most part, it's going to be in the deeper water. And and when I see those things, you know, I, I can look at it and say, hey, you know, this is this has got a there's going to be a blue green change somewhere. I just got to find it. Um, you know, oh, it may look like it's in 20 fathoms, or it may look like it's in 50 fathoms. Doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to run right to it. Because if I get into good, clean, pretty water and I see flying fish, I see, you know, scattered grass or a weed line, it doesn't mean I'm going to run right straight to what I saw in the sea surface shot. You know, I'm not going to go past something that I would consider that would have a dolphin on it or, you know, hold bait that the dolphin should be there. I follow. So if this uh, if this podcast is going out, you know, we'll say mid June, end June. I'm not exactly. I didn't check to see an exact calendar date, but again, in in my mind, you were going to talk about mahi 101 with a specific emphasis on summer mahi. Is there a water? Is there a water temperature that we're looking for, or really it's an elusive target and it's really just about change, not about a certain temp? 
it's about what it's about the, those conditions and really it's not a certain temperature in my opinion um and especially in the summertime because we've got up to 75 78 degree water all the way in on the beach so <clears throat> there have been since i've lived here and that i've known of and i've done it myself i've caught smaller dolphin on clark spoons on half days right on the beach not in numbers um, there's also been dolphins within 10 miles of the beach and what they were on is they were on a weed line or a little bit of a temperature break or a condition that held the bait as a weed line or a temperature break um so I, I personally i don't really look at a lot of the temperature it just it's more dolphins are more structure or bait or condition oriented than they are temperature okay i follow all that and so is there, I guess what I'll ask now is like anything else that, you know, I'm not setting you up to answer that I'm not asking that, you know, knowledge as far as, you know, our heading of when and where, you know, because if we're finished up with when and where I'm going to push you, you know, to some trolling to some technique stuff. But I, I don't want to do that unless I've, you know, you've covered what you want to cover with when and where. My, my encouragement to anybody who's looking for a dolphin is to don't. Don't think that just because you find a weed line that's 10 miles off the beach that there's not a dolphin there. Just because it's not the Gulf Stream does not mean there could not be a mahi there. Um, you know, there. I remember one year there was some, um, some scientific gear that was placed down at a certain depth about seven miles off the beach, and it had a float with a flag on it. And, you know, we were having a real hard time because the conditions weren't offshore. We weren't seeing the dolphins offshore like we should. We weren't, you know, we'd find a grass line, but nothing to be there. And one boat stopped in there one morning and stopped and he threw some chum out and 500 summertime dolphin swam out and he caught his limit real quick. And, you know, it, it's so many times we get, we get tunnel vision. We say, we've got to go to the Gulf Stream. We've got to go to the Gulf Stream. We've got to be in the Gulf Stream to catch a dolphin. And that's not always accurate. You know, you can, you can find these dolphin you find bait and you find a condition that they should be in generally you're going to find them and like i said just because or if you you know if you pass a pallet and you're only 15 miles off the beach and you're in 80 degree water and you see a big pallet floating it does not mean just because you're not in the gulf stream that there are not dolphin on that float okay. if that float's been in the water long enough to get to start the food triangle to start having barnacles on it and to start having you know, little bait fish and everything, there is a chance there will be a dolphin there. All right. I like it. And so now I guess where this conversation will go is, you know, we've slowed down. It's time to put out some lines. Now, I've been on your boat. It's impressive, you know, just the number of lines and how you manage it. And I want to get to that point. But I think before we get to, you know, what you specifically do on a sport fisher, because I know there's people here who want to know that, Maybe you start with a more simple spread for some of my boaters that aren't quite equipped to put out the same spread you do. So maybe give me your opinion of a more simple spread to start a grass line or a patty or, or ledge. And then after we do like the beginner intermediate, then we'll go with your thoughts more on intermediate expert. How about that? Sure. Um, one philosophy, I want to I preface this by saying that if if I can accurately fish four lines and I can maintain those four fishing lines with four baits on them 
and I can hook four fish and catch four fish and do it again, that's much better than having eight lines out there and not being able to adequately maintain them and hook eight fish and catch eight fish. See what I mean? Yep. So a lot of times we'll, you know, when we set out in the morning, if we set out on a weed line, I'll only put three baits in the water because I can adequately maintain those three baits a lot better than I can eight. Now, if I get going down the weed line and it doesn't seem like it's holding a whole lot or you just get a bite here, a bite there, then I'll deploy my entire spread. Does that make sense? Yes. So that's what we do. So, you know, <clears throat> when I set out on a weed line first thing in the morning or if I, if I pull up to one and I've got a whole spread out, I, I like to make things simple. I'll bring everything in and, and we'll deploy um, two small ballyhoos. You know, generally one right down the middle in what I would call short shotgun position. I put one on a flat line closest to that weed line or condition or change or whatever. I want it to the inside. I want it the one that entices that bite first. And then to the outside on the flat line, you know, we'll put um, what we call a nylon or an artificial. Something pink, something that's got a little chugger head on it, something that makes some commotion in the water, and, <clears throat> and we go to work. A lot of times, we don't even put the outriggers down. We stop on a weed line. We fire three baits out. We get three bites. You know, we've got what I call a pitch bait with another rod with a ballyhoo on it, ready, small ballyhoo on it, ready to go in a bucket. And you get a couple bites. Anglers get fighting the fish. The mate will go over and grab it. And, and as the boat's still slowly going forward, he'll put it back there. He'll, he'll dump that bait back there in hopes that there may be another one following up. And... I'm, I'm kind of strict on my mate. I want him to have at least two, if not three or four, when we're on a weed line, ready to go. Pitch baits, ready to put in the water. And then, you know, you can, sometimes you'll turn one or two fish into three, four, five, six. Really easy. But as you're flooding those baits back, I feel like the fish that are following up, they see the other two or three that are hooked and they're creating commotion and splashing around. And they're like, oh, man, we got to get in on this. And then there you are floating a bait back. It might not be swimming pretty because your boat's going forward slow, but they're opportuni opportunistic eaters, so they, they eat it, and you hook them. And then you've got another one on, and then you do the same thing again. And, uh, you know, it. you don't always have to have four pitch baits. One is enough, um, and you catch a fish, and you put them in your box, and then you take and you know, snap it and get another bait on, hooked on, and float it out the side. And that, you know, that that's a, a thing I really like to, to harp on because I, you can turn one or two fish into ten, and in a short amount of time. And then, you know, man, you got ten dolphins in the box. It's like, wow, this is this is happening. You know, we're we're doing a good job, and we're we're learning to adequately maintain our three lines or four lines while we're also learning how to pitch bait. You know, you're pitch, pitching baits to the dolphins, and a lot of times they're going to eat it right behind the boat. So, a couple of questions. Sure. So, small ballyhoo, I'm going to get, I'm going to hit you with like three questions, and then you can answer them. They're all related. So, small ballyhoo, man, I love numbers. Like, give me an idea of what you mean when you mean a small ballyhoo. The artificial, the chugger, something with commotion. Do you have a hook on that? And then yes. the pitch bait. I'm guessing that's also a small ballyhoo, and then. Well, let's, let's go with those three. Absolutely. So this, 
we call the small ballyhoos. They're probably, you know, seven to eight inches. Um, you buy them in a pack and they're actually labeled small and you use a lot of guys are using like the 90, 95, 71 Mustad. They're real small hooks. You know, they're, they're, they're not very big at all. Um, the Matsuo live bait hook, which they do not make anymore. Those were seven O's and they were chemically sharpened and they were, they were nice. You know, you didn't have to run a file to them. You'd use them one time and, and you're done. But the way these dink baits are rigged is that, you know, you, you take a really, really small, and I say small hook, I would say it's no bigger than about two inches. And uh, I apologize, I don't have the numbers for the, the mustad hooks right now. But, you know, you, you just take a really small ballyhoo and you, you, make, you loosen them up real good where he swims and, you know, put that through there and a little chin weight and just rig him to where he's it's easy for a, a dolphin to inhale the entire bait so he'll take that small six seven eight inch ballyhoo and, and when he eats it he eats the whole thing and what what we do is we feed it to him we want to we want to put our we want to have a reel in freeze full when he eats it and we want to have our thumb on the reel and we want to let him eat it we want to let him take it for you know two three four five seconds and that seems very effective because a lot of times, you know, dolphins, those mahis, they'll, they'll bite it and then they turn away and then they'll start eating it. Kind of like a sailfish or white marlin. But they'll, they'll eat it and turn away and then they'll swallow it down. And then once you engage a drag, you've got him on. And uh, it, it's a real effective way. Dink bait fishing. It's a real effective way to catch dolphins of all sizes. Um, I wish I had one with me. But what I do have with me is I have what we call the chugger head nylons or artificials. I have a couple examples of those here um, that I'd like to share with you though right now. Let me grab one. Yeah, man, I'd like to see it. So this is one here. This is one that I've caught. Let's see, get it up there. It's been hanging upside down, so the skirt's backwards. But this is just a, a small chugger head. Um, I won't go over what brand it's made by, but it's just a... You know, here's the hook. It's just a real small, um, real small chugger head. And, you know, you put it on your flat line and, and the action of that cupped head as it goes through the water creates motion. You've already got two dolphins that are that are eating your ballyhoos over here. This one's over here. The third one's going to come up and he's going to whack it, which I, I wish that we could zoom in on that head because that head is, I mean, it is scarred up. I've caught a lot of fish on this. Um Biggest mahi I've ever caught last year, 58, 58 or 59 pounder. We caught on that. Right on. Here, here's another one. I'll go over this because I, I enjoyed pulling this lure all the time. Um, the guys who make this lure actually come down to Hatteras and fish every year, and they bring a bunch and they drop them off. Kind of favors a squid. Let me back up a little bit so everybody can see it. Yeah. Um. Kind of favors the squid, and it's got a little cupped face on it, just just a slant head. It's a great thing. This one, if we could get in close, it probably needs a new head on it. This thing's been eaten up. But, you know, it, it's just something. And you, you notice that we're going with uh, the same color here. <laughs> Pink, very popular color in the in the mahi fishing days. But, um, you know, it's just something that it, it creates a little bit of motion back there. It, it has a little smoke trail. And, and really, that one being it's away from the weed line it's not the one that 
you know, you want them to see those pretty little ballyhoos swimming and you want them to attack those first. And then the one that falls up, he's going to say, well, I'm an opportunistic eater. So I'm going to go eat this thing. And, you know, they have things, they have lures now that are bullet heads, Gary, and they do great too. I just feel like a little bit of commotion, a little bit of smoke trail through the water. Um, I think it does just a little bit better. I follow. So let's go this route. Cause I have these questions now. Okay. So one, what speed are you typically trolling at after you get a bite? You know, what do you then do as far as the speed of the boat and the direction of the boat? Do you stay right on the weed line or do you turn away at all? And then what's the attitude when you get a bite? Is it mate, client, whomever grab that rod as quick as possible or, or it doesn't really matter because you want that. It sounds like you want that fish to run a little bit before anything really happens. Yeah. So my boat, when I, when I put my boat in gear, um, I'm at 650 RPMs and generally speaking, speed over ground with no current, that's about 6.7, 6 6.6, 6.7 knots. Um, every boat is different. Some boats that have bigger motors go faster. Some boats like outboards, you know, they're different as well because you have to get a higher RPM to get up to that speed. And sometimes it creates a lot of white water. If I am just trolling, I am in gear trolling at what I know is 6.6, 6.7 knots. Um, <clears throat> a lot of times when you find these conditions that we've been talking about, when I pull up to them and I don't get a bite immediately, I'll slow the boat down. And I'll slow the boat down to like three or four knots with my trolling valve. I'll, I'll slow it down. And sometimes that difference of two or three knots entices the dolphins to come out from underneath whatever condition we're at. You know, a lot of times on a weed line, especially in the summertime, when, when the smaller schooly dolphins or fun-sized dolphins, as we call them, when they're around, you know, we'll slow the boat down to that three knot, three to four knot. You know, nothing specific, but we just slow it down and, and, and it seems that it, they'll get curious and they'll come out from underneath that structure and check you out. And then that's when you, you know, you can hook them on a little ballyhoo or, you know, a chunk of squid or something like that. So <clears throat> when that happens, if I'm trolling along and I get a bite or two, I generally want to stay right along, like right along the weed line or right along the, the change. I want to stay right there with it if I can at all possible. Sometimes sea conditions won't allow it. Sometimes, you know, if there's three or four boat, boats on the weed line and they're all right there together, you know, somebody's going to pass you. Or if you hook that, you know, 40-pounder when you think you're targeting five-pounders and he takes a whole bunch of line off, you know, you, you kind of want to circle around there to him when you're on light tackle. But, you know, every situation is different. If, if I'm just trolling right along, right down a weed line, and I get a bite, I catch a fish, and I get a bite, I catch a fish, get a bite, catch fish. I'm generally not going to do anything different. I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing right down the weed line. Generally the same speed as, as we hook a couple fish and, you know, we see that they're going all different directions. Then generally I'll slow the boat way down, try to keep it going forward just a little bit. But sometimes depending on the size of the fish, you know, I might have to, to circle around to the larger fish which which forces the other people to you know smaller fish just to get them to the boat and and i'm not helping them out as much as i am if i'm if i'm circling back around but a lot of times you know you'll do that you'll you have 
you catch 10 of those, what we call slingers, little five pounders, you sling them in the boat. And then the next one is a 40 pounder and you got him on 30 pound test and you have to, you have to change the attitude of the boat to go over there and, and assist the angler. Cause a lot of times those bigger fish are just, I mean, they're hard to catch on that light tackle. Yeah. They're smart. I mean, they know how to use their broad body. Yeah. Um, let me ask you this, man. When, when you're trolling those weed lines, when you're trolling those patties, you ever get any grass on those hooks, man? Does that ever happen? And, you know, help us out. I mean, if, you know, I'm trying to do that straight face. I couldn't even do it straight face. It happens right. to everyone. You know, you the quickest the quickest way to get, you know, anything you can give us tip-wise to help clear the lines as quick as possible so that the hook bait spending the most time in the water and not reeling all the way in to clean it and put it all the way back out. You know, a lot of times myself included i'm like oh man there's scattered grass i got to get out of here because i don't want to deal with it because you know it might be a tough day might be slow bites and then you add on to it that you troll through an area and grass gets on every bait but that's just a part of it and you know that's where they live that's their habitat that sargassum grass at some point was a weed line the wind might have blown it off whatever it was and it scattered it all out it doesn't mean the fish left means the fish are still there so a lot of times what you have to do and what i like to do is is you, you remember is i i put a, a man on every rod i'll take my charter clients and say hey that's your rod you watch that bait only you know grass gets on it i want you to crank it up do whatever you got to do to get the grass off make sure that we don't you know pop it out of the clip if it's an outrigger because we want to be able to put it right back where it was but you know sometimes you have to reel it all the way up Sometimes that's just the, the breaks of fishing and grass, but a lot of times, you know, you can, you can manipulate it a little bit, whether you crank a couple times or, or drop it back a little bit further and crank real fast. And, you know, that, that grass is just a part of it and, and it, it aggravates all of us. But I promise you that the more time you spend in that grass, the more chances you're going to have to catch mahi. That's where they live. I believe you. I believe that answer. All right. I think we're, we're coming close to the end before I ask you for like final thoughts or just to make sure I haven't missed anything. Um, if we are, if we are elevating to more of an eight line spread, if we are going more aggressive, what tips do you have as far as like, Hey, hit this in the check mark box to make sure you have these different types of offerings out or as well, or your theory about distance and, and formation of, of having that many offerings in the water it's it's not easy and um you know we're fortunate that my mate will have typically four to six lines in the cockpit maybe not so many dolphin fishing maybe just four or if we're just regular fishing um and i usually fish four off the bridge and <clears throat> the way my boat is is my two flat lines which go right off the stern of the boat they're the closest to the boat you know they're fished off the back of the boat and then the next two are the short riggers and they're kind of fished to the outside on the gunnels and they're going to be in the short rigger clips off the outriggers and they're going to be you know there's there's no specific distance if i have a chugger head if i have a, a sail lure or something you know i want it creating smoke coming down the, the face of that wave i want it doing i want it having its action typically my ones on the flat lines are going to be pretty swimming ballyhoos or maybe a, a artificial or a plug in a ballyhoo and then the short riggers are going to be just a little bit further back and then 
as they come up on the bridge, the long riggers, of course, are going to be the furthest out, and they're going to be the furthest back of the rigger bait. And then sometimes I'll take a short shotgun and I'll place it in between my short riggers and my long riggers. And then, of course, we have our shotgun, which is going to go the furthest back. It's going to be your prettiest bait. Um, I like blue and white for my shotgun. I've caught a lot of different fish on that. I've caught a lot of fish on it, a lot of different species. But I like like a blue and white sea witch, and I want it back there swimming real pretty. And, you know, with dolphin fishing, it's kind of hard to do that. That's why I stated earlier about the three or four bait spread. <clears throat> but when I'm when I, I find that condition and we, we fish on a long time and we don't have any bites and we're gonna fish on off. We're gonna go on off deeper, go look for more weed line structure, whatever, then you know, then I want to deploy and have an offering for everybody. You know, blue and whites, blue and blacks, purple and blacks, red and blacks, pink, maybe some naked ballyhoos with no skirts or anything on them, you know, I just want to have, I want to have offering for everybody because now we're having to go look. Now it's not that we've pulled up to this weed line and it's easy. You know what I mean? Like now we're going to have to go do some work. We're going to have to search. We're going to have to try to find bait, have to try to find some structure with bait, maybe a, another weed line offshore. But as we're covering ground, that's typically when I offer more. Make sense? Makes total sense. I mean, yeah, I, I so. knew... I've I've fished with you before. I know you have a you know a purpose behind every detail on the back of that boat, and um, I think that was very good you know sort of explanation for our forum right here with this podcast. And so that brings me to you know basically the wrap up question: like, what about it? What about final thoughts? Again, you know, I kind of voice it like anything I didn't set you up to share, anything that comes to mind. You know, here at the end of the podcast, what do you have for our viewers? I'll tell you what, <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use an example, um, and this really has nothing to do with a lot of stuff that we've talked about. Perfect. One day when I was mating, um, we were very fortunate. Generally, my captain, when I, I made it on a boat for a number of years, and, you know, we would, we had good fishing, Gary, and we would catch 20 or 25 dolphins, like nice gaffers. And his philosophy was, hey, you know, we get 24, 25 gaffers or we go and we, you know, bail 30. We get those schoolie dolphins and we get 30 of those, man, we're going to go look for something else. You know, talk, talk to the people, make sure they're cool with it because they got a lot of meat and, and we've been lucky and fortunate and Hey, let's go experience something else that the Gulf stream has to offer. And for the most part, no problem. Our clients would be like, man, yeah, let's let's do, let's go look for a wahoo, or let's go look for a billfish, and let's go do something different. And uh, <clears throat> we had a crowd one day, and they they just did not want to do anything else. I mean, they didn't want to do anything else. And we caught a lot of dolphins. I think we ended up with like 57 gaffer mahis. And I I'll be honest with you, as much as I like to fish, and I want to I'm going to catch fish. I feel like those guys probably wasted a lot of that meat because how in the world could anybody, any six guys eat 57 gaffer mahis? And I was in the store that evening and I was getting something to bring home to cook for dinner or to go with dinner. I think they might've gave me a fish and there were some guys in front of me and, um, and man, they were just so stoked. They had took their boat out there and they caught a handful of dolphin 
and they they were they were just stoked. And you know, I thought to myself, man, we're almost sometimes we ruin fishing. You know, we ruin it. We we take for granted the fact that we can catch all these fish. And nowadays, you know, it's kind of nice. Like even if I if I go with my family or if if we go and we just catch a couple fish and we have dinner and it's nice. You know, I, I try not to take anything for granted when it comes to fishing. I try to be proud of every fish I catch. I try to be proud of the effort that I put into it. I try to maximize my opportunity, and I try to do that every time. So, you know, my thing would be take advantage, maximize your opportunities, do your prep work, do your homework. When you go out there, be ready for anything. Make sure your crimps are good, your knots are tied, and just make your day. Make a day of it. Enjoy what what's out there. Enjoy the flying fish, the color, you know, the fish you do catch. Don't don't ruin it by thinking that you have to catch every fish out there. And so many times, charter fishing, we feel like we've done that. Does that make sense? It makes total sense, man. I like I like sharing a little Zen moment with you here, and I'm on board. And you know, I'm often talking about the experience. I'm talking about the memory you know, yep. more than the meat, man. I love mahi, fish tacos. I mean, I love eating fish, but I, I think we can all on some level understand the sentiment. Mm -hmm. Hey, uh, I asked the captains at the end, you know, quickly, we don't want to, we don't want to go into too much detail. Give me the quick calendar review. If someone's watched this said, man, I like this captain. I think I might like to fish with them. I don't know that I want a summer mahi fish with them. I might, but give me the highlight reel of what you're doing in the spring, the summer, and the fall. Okay. Absolutely. You know, April starts our season. Typically, uh, we hope to have tunas, black fins, yellow fins, uh, occasional wahoo and mahi mixed in. As May comes around, it is full swing. You never know what's going to bite next. Yellow fins, black fins, blue marlin, wahoo, dolphin. As we get into June, we still have a lot of that. And then towards the middle, end of June, it tends to get that summer mahi and billfish. And then... You know, our Wahoo season starts some, sometimes in July, maybe early July, maybe late July. You know, we'll have a lot of Wahoos around. They'll carry right on through the fall. Still have Mahis, still have, you know, occasionally Blackfin, still have Marlins. Um, feel free to give me a call, chat about it, send me an email. You know, I can tell you traditionally when I think the different types of fish are going to be moving through our waters. But like I said, it's traditionally. I can't guarantee it. They all have they have tails and they swim. It's a big ocean, but you know we'll we'll definitely if you have a target something you want to try to do we'll definitely try to get you here in a time when we hope that they're going to be here and you know put our 110 percent in to go do exactly that. Jeremy, I've thoroughly enjoyed talking to you on this podcast. I I miss you. I miss Hatteras, and I'm going to as I say goodbye to you. I'm going to turn to Billy and say, Billy, let's not even pack up the studio. Let's just hop in the car and just go and go to Hatteras yeah. and just be at the dock tomorrow morning when Jeremy walks down to the Calypso. That'd be awesome. And put on our puppy dog eyes and say, "Do you are you sure you don't have any room for us?" <laughs> That's a great idea, right? Yeah. I mean, I've been on his boat one time, but the weather was so rough we didn't get to go out, and so that was, that was hurricane, wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. I think yes, was it was. Yeah, that was when, I, yeah, when I had the small boat. That was, we got down to the inlet, and the swells were just ridiculous yes you made the correct call there captain <laughs> even with people with wanting very much to go fishing and looking at you you made the correct call yeah man that was awesome billy hey, good good
best takeaway moment? Uh, I think the most, uh, you know, best takeaway encouraging thing is like you don't have to go to the Gulf Stream to find mahi. Like you can find them close, right closer on. than you think. So yeah. that's encouraging. I like have, you know, I like having a plan, but I like not being married to the plan. And you see something intriguing. I mean, I, yeah. you hear that we've we've already heard it repeatedly by our captains. You know, have a plan, but don't be married to the but plan. Keep your eyes open and do what Captain Jeremy said, man. Just go out there and enjoy it. I think that's why we create this podcast so people can create those memories. So I, that's I agree. awesome. It is good work. And speaking of the podcast and how you can share it and create some good memories as you learn with your family, go check us out on Spotify, Podbean, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and share it with your friends. Share it with your family. Let them know that this is a place where they can learn and grow as anglers and, and create those memories, man. So good. So, Gary, did you have a tournament coming up? I believe you had one. I got a slide for you here. You have a slide for me? I got me? a slide for you. Let me bring it up here. There we go. The Topsail Inshore Challenge, it is a two red drum event, and the way Fisherman's Post approaches the events is we make them very easy, very friendly. And so you are not required to have only two anglers on the boat. You're not required to only use artificials. You know, you can have as many people on the boat as you want. You can fish bait or artificials. And if you don't have the means to keep that fish alive over a full day of fishing, you're, you can lay, weigh in alive or dead red drum you know it's about the event it's about the experience it's about the memory i believe and there's also nice payouts at the end of the day sounds fun man i gotta get a, i gotta get a boat what am i doing <laughs> somebody watching this one donate me a boat i i can feel it <laughs> i don't i'm not sure i feel it wait hold on i think maybe a sponsor marine warehouse center <laughs> Is that maybe I, that's what i'm feeling i'm not sure i'm gonna have to reflect more oh man well once again thank you to marine warehouse center for making this episode possible uh and really appreciate you guys watching be sure to share like do all those things and we'll see you next week see you next week